Would you pray with me? Father, um, man, as we were singing that song and even during our prayer time, I was thinking, what we're doing here this morning is utter foolishness to a world that doesn't know the truth of the gospel. Whether it be in the prayers of um, beautiful young children or the praise of a music team or um, the power of your word or just the reflection and communion, none of it makes any sense unless the gospel is true. But the gospel is true. And if we would just get to the end of ourselves and realize we are nothing and run to the one who is everything and will make us everything in him, you will do abundantly beyond anything we could even ask or imagine. So Lord, we pray this morning that as we continue to worship you in the word, you would have that ministering effect on our spirits in this place for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word of God. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for the people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others... Why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Then, what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful does not mean, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved, I can't read, proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. But, some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair, then, for him to punish us? 
This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But, some might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. This is the word of God. You may be seated. We take the time to read that every Sunday because that is where the power is. It's not what comes out of this mouth except what comes out of this mouth that is related to and a part of the power of God's word. And so um, to start our time together, I want to ask the first talking points question. The talking points are in your bulletin. Um, They're part of our training worksheet. They're on the back. And I want to ask the first question, and that is, why do we default to rulemaking and rulekeeping? As, not just as Christians, but certainly as Christians, but just as people, why do we tend to default to rule-making and rule-keeping? I'm asking. To measure how well we're doing. To measure how well we're doing, we're scorekeepers. Whether it's internally or comparatively, we're scorekeepers. Good. What else? To keep order. To keep order. Right? There, I mean, there's a certain amount of like, aren't we glad there are some laws? Right? Absolutely we are. And, 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 and do we want to have just and right laws? Absolutely we do. Do we want to see the Supreme Court overturn Roe versus Wade here in this session? Absolutely we do. And we need to be praying for that. But is, if, the, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade, is that going to stop abortion in our nation? No. One, even legally, it does not stop abortion in our nation. All, you know what it does? Like people that are saying, well, we can't have it because it'll outlaw abortion. That's a lie. It's a lie that they're trying to convey to a world that is lost because they believe that the world that is lost will say, oh man, the Supreme Court better not do that. Roe versus Wade did not, did not outlaw abortion or, or did not make abortion legal. It, out, it made it impossible for states to have laws against it. All Roe versus Wade is going to do, if it gets overturned, is turn the question back to the states. Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about today and even the question I'm asking about why do we default to rulemaking and rulekeeping? There are right and good and just rules that we should want to have in our nation. We should want to see Roe versus Wade overturned, but that's not going to stop the problem. Why? Because the problem isn't a law. The problem is a human heart. And as long as the people in the states are a wholly immoral people, they will, there will be states in our nation that will continue to vote legally to, or to legalize abortion. It's just the way it is. We're not going to legislate morality into people. But somehow, we have come to believe, even in the church, the same mistake that the Jewish people believe that somehow we can legislate God-fearing, like heart change into people. And we can't. I don't know who it was. It might have been Warren Worsby says, the law conforms from without, but grace transforms from within. The law conforms from without. It, it will try to control behavior, but grace will conform from within. That's why any of you that are parents, and, and maybe you had, a, you know, and, you, and rightly so, you have rules for your kids, and you're trying to teach them order and structure and discipline, you're also praying, Lord, change this little sinner's heart. Right? Well, we should pray that for ourselves as well. 
because we suffer from the same sin problem. So we're in this series that we're calling Righteousness Revealed in the Gospel According to Romans. And, we're t- and we talked last week briefly about how Romans, ultimately there's lots of ways we can look at Romans, but ultimately Romans is a proclamation of and a defense of God's righteousness by God. So God is proclaiming and defending his own righteousness in the book of Romans. And he does it through these five therefore statements. And we, we've looked at two of them. So if you look at, if you open up your Bibles to Romans, in Romans 1.24, he says, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, of their, to, to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonor of their bodies among themselves. So he's saying, because of what we already looked at a few weeks ago in Romans 1, all the sin in the world, God has given them over. He's given us what we wanted in our flesh because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served God. They served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So he's saying, therefore, because, they got, because humanity gets its eyes off of God, God gives us over to what we want. That was my human condition for the first half of my 50 plus years. It's part of all of us at some level. And then we got to actually chapter 2 last week, praise the Lord. And it was verse 1 is the second therefore. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, who judge one another. Because you're doing the exact same things. Now Paul is going to continue today in the rest of chapter 2. And and prayerfully we'll get through our part of chapter 3 today. And he's just going to continue to build this foundation of need. And like I said last week, I, I, I want so badly to just kind of go, can we just skip? Okay, I get the point, Paul. I get it. Everybody's a sinner. I get, we all need Jesus. Why take so much time? Well, it was Holy Spirit inspired, and so we probably ought to just embrace it for what it is. The reason we need, to, we need this strong foundation is because this is the part of the gospel we will forget first. Our need. And that's really what he's going to talk about today. Turn to, so, so today's message we're, we're calling, so if, if it's true that, that, that law conforms but grace transforms and we're grace people, then what's the point of the law? Like what's with all the rules? Right, so that's what today's message is about. It's like, okay, so what's with all the rules? What is the point of God's law? Well, I'm glad you asked, and I'm also glad that Paul was very intellectual in his thinking and, and in Romans and in his other letters, he anticipates people's questions because he engaged with the unbelieving world all the time so if you would keep your finger in Romans we're going to come right back here turn to the right of where we are and go to Galatians go to Galatians chapter 3 it's a few books to the right of where we are because Galatians Ephesians Philippians Colossians if you get to the T's you've gone too far Galatians chapter 3 and I want to read to you his concise answer to a question he's going to spend about a chapter and a half in in Romans. So in verse 19 of chapter 3, Paul says this, why the law? He asked the, he's like, you're going to ask the question, why the law? That's the question we're asking today. What's the point of the law? What's the, point of, what's, the, what's the deal with all these rules? He says, it was added because of transgression until the offspring should come to, the, to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And then he explains what that means. Now in verse 20. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. He's saying the promise was always Christ coming. He's the intermediary. That intermediary is part of the triune Godhead. Verse 20. Now in verse 21. Is the law contrary to the promise of God? 
He's, he's like, wait, wait a minute. If, if, if the promise is what saves, the promise was Jesus, Jesus is what saves, then, then is, it, is, it, is the law contrary? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would, be, would indeed be by the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now therefore, faith came. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the, until the coming faith would be revealed. So he's saying, he, guys, so, so understand this. The promise, I talked about this during my little circumcision talk in the gospel moment, right? The promise that he's referring to, it starts back in Genesis 15. It rolls into the noetic covenant, but it really, like not officially, but, but um, very clearly begins in Abraham. God says in Genesis 12, Abraham, I have chosen you and out of you, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. Every people group will be blessed. Not just the Jewish people, everybody will be blessed. That's the promise that he's referring to. And he's saying, so this, but, but now get this, that happened around 2100 BC, 2000 years before Christ. Some 700 years later, later would be this way for you guys, right? Some seven, would it? Yeah, later. Later would be, uh, sorry, this is left. So the, the, the late, some 700 years later, up comes Moses. And what does Moses bring God's people? The law. So, so if you're like, okay, wait a minute. So for 700 years, they were God's people with just the promise. And then all of a sudden, there's the law. And the law was pretty massive. I'm reading through Leviticus right now. If you're doing the, the Bible in a year with us, it's on the bottom of your daily readings just as, a, as an added bonus. We're in Leviticus right now. And as I was sharing with the lead team yesterday morning in our lead team meeting, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm teaching a message today where the title of the message is, what's the point of the law? And I open up Leviticus yesterday and I'm like, Lord, what is the point? All this stuff about bodily fluids. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, seriously? And then I have to stop and go, you know, you're teaching on this like tomorrow, right? And, this, and then I, I confess that to my brothers. They pray for it. And then I have the same problem today because it's more, I'm like, okay, what is the point? Paul's here, Paul tells us the point. So get this. So he's saying, we were imprisoned by the law until the fulfillment of the promise. That's Jesus coming. So then, verse 24, the law was our guardian, or a better translation would be our tutor, our teacher, our director, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But you say, wait a second, how is that possible? Here's how it's possible. It's not teaching us to do all those things it told us to do. Here's why the law was given. So here's why we go from, from Abraham to Moses and now and to Christ and the freedom we have in Christ. So what was all of that about, God? couple things. First and foremost, all of it is a foreshadow and a picture of, and much of it is a type of Christ. So the things he had God's people doing in the Old Testament were pictures of what Christ was going to do for us perfectly in the New Testament. That's, that's one reason the law exists. Another reason the law exists is God wanted to give us a, just a sampling of what it would take to really worship him. Like when I'm reading these things in Leviticus and I'm like, oh my goodness, there's just no way. Like there's no way you could do this. That's the point. God wanted to show his people, hey, let me just, let me just, this is just to even approach worshiping me. Like not approaching me. You can't approach me. Just approaching worshiping me. Here's all the stuff you have to do. 
And they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sadly, most of them didn't go, we can't do that. Help, Lord. They went, okay, we're just going to pretend like we did it. And that's the, the third reason the law exists. It's to show us we can't ever do it. And to prayerfully, by the power of the Holy Spirit, convict us into a place of going, help, Lord. If, if this is what it looks like to even approach you minimally in worship. And when I say this, I'm talking about most of this. If this is what it looks like just to barely approach you, and I want to be in your full presence, I need your help. And the fulfillment of the promise comes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to show us in this crazy letter of Romans. So what is the point of the law? The points we're going to look at today is it's going to show us our hypocrisy, and we're going to move through them quickly. It's going to show us our hypocrisy. It's going to show us our broken hearts. And I don't mean feelings. I mean our brokenness in our hearts. And it's going to show us Christ's righteousness. So go back to Romans chapter 2. And let's pick it up. Our first point is it's going to show us our hypocrisy. But I want, to sh- I want to remind you of where we ended last week in verse 16. It says, on that, I think Mark mentioned, you know, last week Doug mentioned this, Jesus wants your heart. Right here it is. Even in the midst of this discussion about law keeping and everything else, it says in verse 16, on that day, the, that's the, this remember, this is the awesome day of the Lord we were talking about, when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of of men by Christ Jesus. That's Paul's way of saying, on the day of the Lord, God will judge us by our hearts. Have our hearts been changed or not? Now let's look at what he moves on to in talking about this hypocrisy. Look at verses 17 through 20, or through 19 and, and how, how Paul is using a version of sarcasm here. He's like, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God... And know his will, and and you could actually add an and if to verse 18 because it flows out of verse 17. And if you know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, verse 19. And if you are sure that that you yourself are a guide to the blind and light to those who are in the darkness. And again, you could add to verse 20. And if an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law an, an, an embodiment of knowledge and truth. So he's, this is, here's, Paul, here's how we would say it in our vernacular much faster than Paul did. If you think you're all that, if you really think you're all that, he goes on. Because when there's an if, there's always a then, right? It's like the hypothesis in this for us science geeks, an if-then statement. It says, so if there's an if, if you, if you think you're all that, then, and he does this, then, you who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Because he's using a form throughout this letter, but specifically in this chapter, he's using a form of um, dialogue that's called rhetoric. He asks a lot of questions, not only does he know the answer to, but he knows that if they're honest, they know the answer as well. Right? So when he asks the question, do you do you?" teach um, or do you teach yourself he knows the answer is no he knows that in the heart of hearts they should know the answer is no so he says do you do you, pre- do you preach against stealing do you steal he's like you who say that you must not commit adultery do you commit adultery 
You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? In other words, do you take, do you take temples and have them in your, idols from temples in your house? And those idols, we've taught, we've taught on that before, they can look like lots of things. They don't have to look like just statues. Verse 23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Now, guys, understand this. Get this. He's speaking to a moral people. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to all those people in chapter 1. He's talking to the church people. He's talking to the people that are going, yeah, I, I come to church every Sunday. I go to synagogue. I, 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 I give my tithes and offerings. I sacrifice my lamb. I do whatever when my body oozes something and I have to be cleansed. Like, I do all that stuff, so leave me alone. Right? And he's going, wait a second. You boast about, but, but you dishonor God because you break the very law you boast about. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Guys, what do you, what do you hear? Actually, I hear it less now than I used to, which is kind of weird. I think it's just because the world's gotten even more lost, not necessarily because the church has gotten any better. But what do you hear? Like when people say, you know, I wouldn't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. And for many years, I think, well, you know, we will, like, the, the, the moral right and the moral majority and, the, and, the, and that sort of the Bible belt Christian, Christianity that was like, man, if, if you are in the church, you are just better. Like their answer was, no, it's not, blah, blah, blah. Guys, we just need to embrace that. When somebody, if somebody actually says that to you, well, I'm not going to come to your church because you know what? I just think churches are full of hypocrites. Say, yes, they are. And you'll fit right in. Right? I mean, yeah, I am, you are. Let's all get together. But the, the difference here is once you come to faith in Christ, you're a hypocrite who's cleansed in the blood of the lamb. That's a big difference. But, but the reality is still the same. We, we are, we, are we, struck, we, not just the Jewish people then, we need to understand that we, have a, we all have this little inner Pharisee, that little inner hypocrite that wants to look a certain way, that, that wants people to think we act a certain way, that wants our social media to be a certain way, and then our reality is very different, and we know it. And I'm not just talking about struggling with sin, which we all struggle with. I'm talking about doing, living a life that you know is sinful and don't care. That's what they were doing. He's not saying you still sin just generally because we all have sin struggles because we live in a broken world. He's saying you sin and you know it and you don't even care, but you're telling everybody else to stop it. And, and the church has been guilty of that for too long. Now, does God care about our behavior? Absolutely, he does. I love how Doug Moo, who's, who's probably got the, the, um, the most well-respected um, commentary on the book of Romans. He's a, he's a um, Greek scholar, and he says this. When professing believers claim to be followers of God slash Christ and live in contradiction of that profession, they become the single greatest hindrance to the gospel. Now, guys, so, so, so we don't just want to go, yeah, I'm just a hypocrite. It doesn't really matter. I'm covered by grace. Paul's going to get there this week, next week, the week after. But no, that's not the way we need to live. Jesus does care about our behavior. Why? Because it reflects on him. Not because of us. Not because it's proving something to him about us, but because it reflects on him. And so we need to be aware of that, which brings me to the second talking points question. So look at your second talking points question. What is the antidote to hypocrisy? So, okay, we admit, we all struggle with being an internal Pharisee. We all struggle with that little bit of hypocrisy. What is the antidote? Here's what the Lord hit me with as I was studying this week. Too many of us think the antidote to hypocrisy is perfection. 
so we push hard to be perfect. The antidote to hypocrisy is not try harder to be perfect. The answer to hypocrisy is humility. In the great paradox of Christianity, the way up is down. The way you look more like Jesus is by getting on your knees and going, I know I struggle, Lord, help me. Right? That's the answer to hypocrisy. Don't walk out of here today and go, okay, so I'm just going to try. So what are some ways that generally or specifically, what are some ways that we deal with our hypocrisy? I'm asking. This is the last one we'll kind of have interaction on today. Transparency. Transparency. So one, being transparent is a great way to start to deal in a healthy way with our hypocrisy. If I, which, which along with that goes accountability, right? You, they, they both go together. So if I know I'm accountable to somebody, then I tend to be less hypocritical about certain areas of my life because I know they're going to ask me about them. Good. What else? Being humble. Being humble. Okay, so humility. Good. What else? Obeying your parents. That's a great one, Josh. Parents are like, amen, preach it, brother. And how about obeying our Heavenly Father? All, the, all of us, young and old, right? But, but the answer, but, okay, so good. So what else? How else, how else do we, in maybe in unhealthy ways, how, how do we try to fix our hypocrisy? Hide it. Okay, good. Hide it. Put on a mask. Denial. Just like, like not even, I'm not going to let my mind even go there. Right, good. I heard some others. Maybe they were the same. What's that? Putting down other people's faults. Is that what I heard? Oh, pointing out. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Like that's that's where we've gotten really good in the church, right? Like 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 we don't, you know, we don't we wouldn't especially like like behind their back, right? We wouldn't. I mean, you know, we wouldn't actually go to them and and maybe exhort them or admonish them if that's what it took to to go. Hey, here's a here's something I see in your in in your life that that maybe I would love to help you work on. We would rather go to somebody else and go, hey. um, have you noticed this about this brother? Because, man, he really doesn't seem right over here, right? Like, and, and somehow that feeds, our, not only is that gossip and sin in so many ways, but it's also, it, it's, it makes us feel better, right? There, there, there's something in our brokenness that makes us feel better when we make other people look worse. Man, there's, that, that is so evident in my life, in our lives, and it just, it just somehow there's something about us that just, and whether, we, whether we're whatever enough, boisterous enough to say it out loud, or it's just some internal thing, we are constantly comparing ourselves over and over and over again. And social media has taken that to a whole new level. To a whole new level. Especially for young ladies. Because we live lives of comparison all the time. And the point of social media is to get us to compare our lives. Okay. So today's question is, what's with all the rules? What's the point of the law? Like, what, what, if, if, if it's all about the promise, then what's going on? Well, one, God wants us to, wants to point out our hypocrisy to us. Like, man, you can't, you, you're gonna, you, you, not only can you not do it, you're not even willing to admit you can't do it. And the second thing is, it points to our broken hearts. And I don't mean broken heart like, oh, my boyfriend broke up with me. Or, you know, I, I mean like broken heart like we're broken people. Our hearts apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, are broken. So let's pick it up. Um, I'm, I'm in Romans chapter 2, verse 25. 
And this is where he starts talking about that word I already mentioned earlier. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. Now remember, circumcision to them was this picture of, and I talked about it during the gospel moment, circumcision was this picture of a religious activity that pointed out, and I'm saying it this way on purpose, that pointed out to them that they were God's people. So it was to them, it was proof that they were God's people. So he says, it's a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And from here on out, he's using that word to say, your Jewishness becomes Gentileness. So when you see uncircumcision, read the word everybody but a Jew. And when you see circumcision, read in, in, this, in this time in history, read Jewish people. So he's saying, guys, if, if, you, if you break the law, then you're just a Gentile, whether you're circumcised physically or not. Now he's going to go on in the rest of chapter, in chapter 3, and he's going to drive the point home that he started in chapter 1 one more time, and he's going to say, and we all break the law. Everybody does. So he makes, he's like, if you can keep the law, but he's making the whole point, you can't. So in verse 29, he says, so if a man who was, who was uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not, will not, so if a, so if a, if a non-Jew keeps the law, will his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? In other words, will, will, will his behavior somehow show that he is belonging to God? Then he who is physically or, or by, by his very nature, in other words, by his birthright, uncircumcised, but keeps the law, will, um, will condemn you who have, who have the written code or the written letter of the law. And circumcision, um, and circumcision, but break, I'm sorry, I'm going to read that again. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. So he's saying, guys, so bottom line, and, and he, don't get lost. In all, here's the point, chapter, verses 28 and 29. So don't get lost in all that circumcision talk. Here's the point. For no one is Jew who is merely or one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. Amen. Guys, if you don't have verse 29 of chapter 2 of Romans circled and underlined, you need to. Because this is one of the major verses of the whole book. It's not one we memorize. It's not one we even listen to or we think about much. But how we view verse 29 of chapter 2 determines how we view God's plan of salvation throughout history. And it will, and it will color how we approach chapter 4 of Romans chapter 7 of Romans, chapter 9 of Romans, and onward. Because we have to ask, is, is a Jew a Jew because of birth or because they have been born of the Spirit by the promise, not by the letter? His praise is not from man, but from God. Because here, understand, understand this, and we're going to kind of, believe it or not, we're going to start landing this plane pretty quick. Circumcision was a, was a picture of law-keeping. It was meant to be a symbol of a covenant. See, the, the difference between a covenant and a contract is that a covenant is kept because the heart of the person is knit together with the person that they've been covenanted with, or in our case, a covenant with God. 
Right? Abraham had a covenant with God that, oh, by the way, God fulfilled perfectly. Abraham didn't even do any of it. But that's for another message in Romans we'll get to. But, but a covenant is a promise connected together by hearts. A contract is a, air quotes, promise connected together by behavior. Does that make sense? What, here's what happened. So how does that relate to what we're talking about? Here's what happened. God says to, 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 God makes a covenant with Abraham. He then says, because I've made a covenant with you, be circumcised. Because that is, that is physical evidence of the covenant I've already made. What I talked about, about, that's baptism today, right? What the Jewish people had turned it into thousands of years later is, circumcision is a contract. Or, I'm sorry, being, God's, being part of God's family is a contract. It came from me being Jewish. And I am circumcised, therefore I have fulfilled the contract. My behavior of circumcision, being circumcised, fulfilled the contract. They had completely twisted the whole thing. They had completely twisted an idea that was supposed to be, hey, because God calls you his people, do this. And they turned it into, we did this, therefore God calls us his people. And that is completely backwards from the gospel. And that brings us to our last talking points question. We often reverse our faith walk. We tend to live this way. We live the moral Christian life Therefore, we belong to Christ. But we should live this way. We belong to Christ, so we live our lives for him. Why does that not-so-subtle difference matter? Not putting Christ first. But even that, that can be a law. I know, Jan, you don't mean it that way at all. But, but like putting Christ first, I can, I can, I can white knuckle myself into that. I can make myself get up early. I can make myself have my Bible time. I can make myself do all those things, right? Is that, that's putting Christ first, but is that doing it from, I heard it, heart, from a heart that's been changed, right? The, the difference is, I am living a life that Christ has commanded me to live. Therefore, I am part of the family of God in Christ. Or, that's what the Jewish people were doing, minus the Christ part. Or you say, because Jesus has changed my heart and sealed my eternity, I am going to live my life to glorify him. And in doing that, I will do the behaviors he's asked me to do. But my motivation is because of what he's already done for me. Not because of something I did. And guys, I'm, I'm, if, if you do nothing else in your daily readings this week, in your time, I'm asking you, search, ask the Lord every day to search your heart. What are the things I think I'm doing from a heart of appreciation that I'm really doing from a heart of... Um, expectation. Either God is expecting this of me or I'm expecting something from him if I do it. 
Right? That, that's kind of the key of the whole thing. So now, even though I said that that's sort of la- starting to land the plane, we're going we're gonna to actually jump into a new chapter, and we're going to start chapter 3 with our last point. So what's the point of the law? Why, why, why have all these rules? It points to our hypocrisy. It points to how broken our hearts are. And here's the most important part. It points to Christ's righteousness. Look at verse three, or verse one of chapter three. Then what advantage has the Jew? Remember, he's speaking in rhetoric. He knows the answer. He's just asking them the question to get us thinking about it. Or what value is circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. He's saying that the, the Jews were entrusted with the promise of God. He said, here was the advantage to being a Jew. You had the logos. Because that's the word he uses there for oracle. It's the word that means not he had the spoken rhema word. It means you had God's plan of salvation from beginning to end. In your hand, guys. You had it. That was your advantage. And you muffed it. He says, what if, but, so then he goes on to say, so what if some were unfaithful? Does that mean that their faithfulness nullifies the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true through everyone, were, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, they that have been justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So, guys, do you remember Righteousness Revealed? That's, that's, our, that's the series title we're talking about. Do you remember one of the greatest ways God reveals his righteousness? It's not through his judgment. That's coming. It's through his salvation. Go back to Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith for faith. For as it is written, the one who is made righteous by faith shall live. I know that was a few weeks ago, but guys, we got to hold on to that. That's the gospel and pull it forward. God's righteousness is revealed in God saving us. He didn't have to. That's the point Paul is once again rehashing at the beginning of chapter 3. He's like, guys, you had the promise. You had the plan. And, and your unfaithfulness to it does nothing to diminish God's righteousness because God is still saving his people through his righteousness in saving his people. And so we'll finish it up with this. He says, but if our because this is this is a common theme in the letter of Romans. But if unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? By so he's talking about the, so so how is it fair for God to judge? Paul's going to talk about that later in the letter. By no means, he says. For then, how could God judge the world? He's going to talk about that later in the letter in great detail. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? sinner? So in other words, he's saying, okay, so not only if, if, if I'm going to sin because I'm just part of this broken world, how, why would God judge me for that? We, that was last week's message. We talked we talk about it. God judges us because he knows that we're glory thieves and he knows our hearts. Verse 16 of chapter 2. He has a right, and we want him to be a righteous judge. We just want to be the one who lays the, 
like the level of judgment. And we talked, a whole, we spent a whole, if you missed last week, go back and listen to it. It's online or on podcasting. Um, but you need, to, you need to get that concept. God is fully just and justified in, in his judgment. He just is. And not just because he's God, but because we deserve it. All of us, right? But then he goes on to say, um, so th- then he goes on to say um, in verse nine, and why not do evil that good may come. So this is a common question in, in the book of Romans, and it's something that, that, frankly, we struggle with sometimes too, in that idea of, okay, so, if, so if, our, if, if our sinfulness and God's willingness to save us even in the midst of that just exalts the grace of God, then let's just sin some more, right? Well, I am so glad that God's word doesn't leave that. In fact, the letter of Romans doesn't leave that. We're gonna finish up here, so turn to Romans chapter six, Because I just want to show you proof that some of the stuff I'm skipping over because Paul is going to hit it hard in coming chapters. This is one of them I didn't really want to skip over because he asked some really hard to understand questions. So if our sinfulness and God's righteousness in that is revealed even more, then let's sin more so he's more righteous. Right? Chapter 3, the end of chapter 3 could, that we just read could sound that way. He comes back in chapter 6, and we'll get there eventually in chapter 6, verse 1, and he says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So he's, it's the same argument. He's, just, he's going back through it again. He's like, guys, so what, so what you're saying is that somehow the, the more we sin, the better grace looks. And then he says, by no means. And it's actually the strongest admonition he could use. And he says, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ? Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with with him in baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to, to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So as the music team comes up and we get ready to go into our time of response, guys, I I, I, this is what I want you to get out of this message. What, what's with all the rules? What's the point of the law? All, okay, see, here's, here's, here's the fundamental principle. It is not in order to get God's favor, I should be obedient to what he tells us to do. It is Because of God's overwhelming love for us, even in the midst of how short I fall in his glory, which the law makes clear to me, that's why it was given to us, because of his overwhelming love for us, I get to be obedient to Christ. The law wants to point Point us to a place where we look and we go, guys, do you see this as a have to or a get to? Here at Crosstrain, we talk about how we want to live, um, you know, that that we have five pillars, right? Being in God's word every day, being directed by prayer, being in a discipleship relationship, D groups, training center, stuff like that, being um, service oriented, using your giftedness to serve the body of Christ in and out of Sunday gatherings, and then mission-focused, 
Right? Those are our five pillars. Here's the, but here's the thing. I could be doing every one of those. I could be in the Word every day. I could be praying all this, every day. I could be um, in a discipleship relationship. I could be serving in the church every day. I could be uh, on mission and going to Mexico. And none of it means anything to God unless my heart has been changed. And I'm doing it as a response to that changed heart. So tomorrow morning... Will your have to, when that alarm goes off, I have to be in God's word today. I have to pray for those people that that prayer request just came out to. I have to go to the training center on Tuesday. I get that one. I have to serve in the church. Will that turn into a get to simply because you have a greater appreciation for the distance Christ came to make you right. And I'm not talking physical, I'm talking spiritual. The distance between God's holiness and our sinfulness is insurmountable. But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love for us made us alive. That's the gospel. That was the message of the law. Let's not miss it. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that your law was given to give us a glimpse of your holiness, to give us a glimpse of how far from that holiness we are. To remind us of the great chasm that is between us. But also and most praiseworthy to show us salvation in Jesus Christ. For he is all over your law. He is literally over your law in that he fulfilled it. And he's also in it all over the place. You have always promised to redeem us despite us. But that only comes when our heart of stone has been transformed into a heart of flesh. And that only comes when we say where we started. Father, I need you. I see the distance. Maybe for the first time in their lives, there might be people in this room or listening to my voice that for the first time they realize, wow, I really am far from God. And then they see the beauty of the one who says, come. Come and lay your burden down. I, I have come to you that you, might, that you might come to me and now the distance is short. The distance is just simply crying out with our hearts that Jesus is Lord and believing that he was raised from the dead to prove the distance had been overcome. That's the gospel story. 
So as we prepare our hearts for communion to celebrate and proclaim that story, Lord, I wanna pray that you would do a work in all of our hearts, that you would, that you would root out the hypocrisy that you would help us to defeat it with humility, that you would remind us of your grace that is overwhelming, that our obedience to you would only be an overflow of what you have done for us. That because you love us, we get to be obedient to you. We get to come to your table. We get to worship. We get to spend eternity with you in Jesus name.